Well, good morning. I'm so glad that you're able to join us uh, today as we experience worship in a way that we've never done here uh, at First Baptist Church. Uh, but this may be our new normal for a few weeks, and we're glad that you're able to uh, join with us. Uh, this morning we're starting a new series on the path of the disciple. As we continue our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, we are going to be looking at some areas of um, of, of personal growth, ways that we grow as a believer in Christ, uh, some disciplines that we can utilize. Uh, today we'll be starting a two-week uh, uh, series on prayer. Uh, we'll be looking at fasting. Uh, we'll also be taking a very honest look at who or what uh, controls us. All of these play an important role in how we live out in our, our faith in, in Christ. So I hope that you took the opportunity to download uh, the sermon notes along with our weekly devotionals. We've also included uh, this time uh, some uh, questions that, that parents can use with their children. Uh, we, we hope that this worship experience will be good for the whole family. Hebrews 12, 7 says that it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It is in our times of difficulty. It's in our times of struggle where we find the father's discipline. And as we are learning to become disciples and become more like Christ, this is an important step in the process that we cannot overlook. You know, our culture tries to minimize uh, our struggles. We try to fix things as quickly as possible. We don't want to allow people to experience pain. So we have all kinds of things that we try to, uh, to, to fix them with. But Scripture teaches us that it's in these times of difficulty, it's in times of pain, it's in the times of struggle that God uses those to grow us and to teach us and to make us more like His Son, Jesus. And with that in mind, we have an opportunity right now at this time in, in, our, in our history, we have such an incredible time to allow God to speak into us and to teach us and to grow us and then take what we have outside the walls of the church. Because for the next few weeks, we will not be meeting at 2300 Welsh Avenue, but the ministry and the mission of the church must go on. And I believe this is an incredible time for us to, uh, to move forward. Now, the way we do this is through prayer. Um, it, it, it's through prayer that we can find the purpose. It's through prayer that we find the direction that God wants to give us during these times. It's through prayer that we find comfort during these times. It's through prayer that we can recognize the peace that passes all understanding. The thing we must avoid, though, is falling back on our typical prayer cliches. We cannot treat prayer like it's some magic fairy dust. Uh, you know, somebody says, oh, there's coronavirus going on. Well, I'm just going to say a quick prayer. Uh, we can't use prayer as some t type of currency where we exchange it. Uh, someone says, I'm having this. Well, I'm going to pray for you and then expect maybe something back in return. We can't use uh, prayer to wrap up an awkward conversation. You've been there before where someone starts to divulge some things that are going on in their lives and it begins to get a little too much for you. And the best way to cut that conversation off is to say, well, here, let me pray for you. 
That's what we like to do, right? Nothing stops that conversation faster than, than saying, I'll pray for you. The, the word prayer might even take you back to your childhood. Uh, I can remember as a child being tucked in by my parents at night and, and having time for prayer. But we have to be careful, right? Some of the prayers that we encourage our children to pray end up being downright scary. Now I lay me down to sleep, and eventually it says, if I should die before I wake... And you wonder why your kids are having trouble sleeping at night? They're laying there, letting that prayer run through their mind. What is, what's going to happen to me if I should die before I wake? Maybe, uh, maybe prayer just evokes just a, a repetitive recitation of something familiar. I can remember my football team in high school. We would always recite the Lord's Prayer before we went out and played the game. And I can tell you with great authority, that doesn't work. Uh, when I was in high school, we lost 28 in a row at the varsity level. Uh, and we said the Lord's Prayer before every game. So we have to, we have to move beyond just making prayer something uh, that we do. And it has to be something that, that speaks into us. And it, and it becomes something of who we are. Because if that is the extent of our prayer life, if all we're doing is, is, is throwing the cliches around, I can promise you that we are going to find ourselves extremely frustrated in the midst of all of this chaos that, and, and all of this disruption that we're finding. The way that we're going to find answers during these times and the way that we're going to grow in the midst of all of this is by sincere, honest, open your hearts to God kind of prayer. So today we're going to address ways that we sometimes get prayer wrong, uh, how we can fix it, and then next week we're going to look at how our prayer life can more closely mirror that of Jesus, which will better connect us with the Father. Our context this morning is in Matthew chapter 6, and, and Jesus is going to give some wise counsel uh, to help us get to the heart of what prayer is and how we should pray. In the middle of this Sermon on the Mount, He offers this model for prayer. And, and this would not be unusual because it was common for teachers to in, give instruction to their followers, to their students, on all kinds of topics, including prayer. Luke tells us in uh, Luke 11, 1, that at one point Jesus' disciples approached him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John the Baptist taught his disciples. So it wouldn't be surprising for him to give instruction. What was surprising was the manner in which Jesus spoke about prayer. He rejected the showy style of prayer that his leaders would have been accustomed to. And instead, he emphasized on how uncomplicated and how private and how personal prayer should be. So if you have a copy of Scripture, I, I encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 6 if you haven't already done so. And we'll be looking at just four verses this morning. Uh, verses 5 through 8. Jesus said these words, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So this morning, we're going to look at the two things that Jesus clearly spoke against, but then I also want to turn around and look at two or three truths that we can take from this to help us approach God with confidence when we pray. 
Jesus makes it very clear that even in our prayer life, sin can often creep in. Those are the two things that he's addressing here. It's, it's, it's sin. Rather than focus on the one to whom we're praying, our focus is elsewhere. And more often than not, it, it turns back to ourselves. So let's look at these two examples uh, here. The first thing that, that Jesus tells us is that prayer is not to impress others. The first sin that can creep into our prayer life is the sin of selfishness and the need to be noticed. We see the same language here that we did last week. Jesus said, uh, beware, or, or do not act like, or don't practice the same thing as the, the Pharisees, as the hypocrites. Uh, in this case, these, these people love to stand in the synagogues or at a prominent position on the street corner to display their acts of righteousness. So in other words, it's not enough for them to wait until they get to the temple, which was the, 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 the customary place uh, for prayer. They wanted to be seen in public. They wanted to be seen praying in public. So prayer for them became about being noticed. So what's inside a person that feels like they have to pray to be noticed? Well, it's, it's a need to look good in other people's eyes. Such a person wanted to be known as a person of prayer because they were seen in public praying. This person wanted to have a reputation of being a person of prayer. So this attitude then led to going out of their way to be seen praying uh, by others. Uh, enjoying the time with God, pouring out their heart, quiet reflection, listening, that was not enough. So being with the Creator is being replaced by the need to be seen by the created. Now it's important to point out that Jesus does not completely rule out all public prayer, but He does stress the private side. Public prayer is appropriate when it's practiced with the right motives, but public prayer should represent an overflow of what's happening in one's heart privately. Uh, public prayer should reflect genuine conversation with God. You know, it's not a stretch to say that the most, uh, one of the most detrimental things that social media has brought on is, is um, a new heightened sense of, of self-centeredness. You know, we were doing just fine being selfish as a society before Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all of their social media cousins came into the mix. But what social media has done now is given us this unhealthy sense of our self self-worth. The other day I checked Facebook. I wanted to see how many uh, friends I had, and it was about 1,150. And I have to be honest, the overwhelming majority of these people I have not seen in years. I have not talked with them face-to-face -face in years, but what, but what this process does is it, if, if we're not careful, if it goes unchecked, it can give us this sense that all of these people are interested in every thought that I might have. What are my thoughts on the coronavirus? What are my thoughts on politics? What are my thoughts on sports? And they're just sitting there waiting for me to update. Now, have, now let's be real. That's, that's not happening. But we get that sense. Now, where this can come into our prayer life is it is very easy to allow our need to be noticed to creep into something that's supposed to be very personal and private with God. You've seen the pictures. Maybe you've even posted the pictures. The sunrise is just right. It's just coming over the treetops. 
there's a nice early morning haze, maybe with the humidity, or if you're if you're lucky, the temperature is just cool enough so that the 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 steam coming off your coffee cup can be can be seen and can be visible. You get the Bible just right. And, and you focus on the Bible and hopefully everything else kind of goes out of focus because you want the Bible to be the focus of this picture. But what are we doing? We're announcing to the world, hey, I am spending time with God today. And don't get me wrong. I believe most people are very sincere in that moment. I believe both, most people have found that special place that Jesus is talking about where he does speak to them. But if we're not careful, we can place the announcement ahead of what the the time is intended to be. Do you get the connection? I hope you do. Here's the point, though, about all this. People are going to know that you're spending time with Jesus in private by the way that you treat them in public, by the way that you love them in public, by the way you talk to them in public, by the way you serve them in public public. Let people know you spend, Jesus would say to us today, look, let people know that you spend time in secret with me by the way you live and love like me uh, before them. So that's the first thing that we have to be careful of is that, is that we don't use prayer to, to, to gain attention for ourselves. Prayer is not intended to impress others. A second thing I, that, that Jesus shares with us is that prayer is not supposed to be difficult. A second way that sin kind of creeps into our prayer life is when we give too much focus on the form of our prayer, whether it's the time of day, the amount of time, or the, certain, or, or the use of certain words or phrases. Jesus says we shouldn't heap up empty phrases. The Greek word there is we shouldn't babble. Uh, if we translate the Greek word there, we shouldn't babble. Uh, we shouldn't use these repetitive words uh, to try to gain God's attention. So the emphasis there is on empty phrases, or the King James Version actually translates it vain repetition. In other words, it's not bad to want to bring the same request before God. But to think you need to do so in order to get God's attention is the issue. Uh, we, we've seen this practice in, in other religions around the world. In Eastern Orthodox, uh, they use something called a prayer wheel. Uh, you might know someone who uses prayer beads. And, and the point of that is that you're saying, as you make your way around the beads and move from bead to bead, you're saying the same thing over and over and over. The problem with all of these examples is that it makes prayer difficult. It puts too much focus on the form of prayer and, and, and takes the emphasis off of the heart of prayer. Wesley Hill in his recent book on the Lord's Prayer says, God doesn't require a flawless recitation of certain phrases as if he were poised to fly into a rage in the absence of the right formula or performance. No, Jesus says God is your father and he is already disposed favorably toward you. Go find a quiet place where you can relax, Jesus seems to say. Unclench your fists. Breathe deeply. Let your heart rate decrease. Know that you are already bathed in the Father's love and ask simply for what you need in the assurance that the one to whom you're speaking is already cupping his ear in your direction. That's what prayer should be. 
All right, so let's turn this positive now. What is Jesus telling us uh, to encourage us in our prayer time? Well, the first thing that he says is, he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Um, what we must realize, we're, we're getting the opportunity to approach God. We get to approach our Creator. We get to approach the one who knows us better than anyone. We get to approach the one to whom we can take anything, regardless of how big or small it might be, and lay it before Him and say, this is on my heart. We, and, and so in, in doing so, what Jesus is telling us to do is eliminate distractions. Eliminate people, eliminate things, anything that might be a distraction to us. I need to get rid of that whenever I go meet with my father. You might need to block some people out. Um, you might need to turn things off. You might need to create a space where a, a, a distraction free space where you can legitimately give all your, your, your complete focus uh, to God. The psalmist wrote, Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. The only way we can, we can, we can um, echo those words uh, of the psalmist uh, to, to give our whole heart is when we eliminate the things that, that might prevent us from doing so. So, so we must approach prayer with the mindset that absolutely nothing else will get my attention while I am with God. That's a promise that God gives us. Is, is He says, get rid of the distractions. Give me your full focus, and you've got mine. As, as Hill reminded us, He's already predisposed to us because He is our Father. So first we eliminate. Next, we must realize again that we are in the presence of Almighty God. Uh, the Creator, God over all, the God who was and is and is to come, God who is worthy of all praise, God the consuming fire, God who is light, God who is Father. We need to take time to simply dwell in His presence. When Jesus says, go into your room and shut the door, He's saying, just rest in the presence of God. Take time to pour out your heart, but also take time to listen. This week in, in our prayer time, uh, our staff was, was discussing all of the things that were going on. And, you know, things change from day to day. And actually, things are changing about every four hours for us, it seems. And we were praying about the situation, how we can best move forward as a church. And during that time, I could almost hear an audible voice of God saying, I am going to get my church outside the walls. Are you going with me? And I have to admit, I would not have been prepared for that had we not taken some time as a staff just to get silent before God, just to recognize before we start planning, before we look at the calendar, before, before we start making decisions about how we need to do things uh, in the next couple of weeks and then next month and then moving forward, we need to just sit and dwell in the presence of God. And that was a really good moment for me. So when we take the time to eliminate distractions and when we genuinely approach God and we dwell in His presence, then we can truly take our concerns to Him and we can hear from Him clearly. 
And finally, we need to approach confidently, confidently with a childlike faith. Um, when, when, when he says, when you pray, do not worry about the empty phrases. Do not worry about the big words. Just go to your Father because He knows what you need before you even ask Him. Think about this. You know, when, when, when our children are little and we, when we take them to the swimming pool and we're, we're encouraging them to jump off of the side, more often than not, a two-year-old, a three-year-old, uh, before they even get a fear of the water, they see a parent standing in the pool with the arms stretched out wide. That child's going to jump. Why? Because of the trust that child has in that parent that has been displayed over and over and over before in situations outside of that moment. That child says, that's my parent. I trust them. They're saying, come to me. Okay, I'm coming to them. That's the same way that God wants us to approach him in prayer. Uh, he knows everything we need. He is on our side. We can take him our struggles um, and, and, and he want, and, and in that, he wants to bring our brokenness and our sin to him. So let's stop trying to hide from God, but let's be willing to put it all out there. Uh, say, God, I'm putting this into your hands. I am bringing this to you confidently. I am a mess, but your word tells me you're on my side. I'm, 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 I'm messing these things up in my life, but your word tells me that you can restore me. Your word tells me that you can... You can make something out of the mess that I've created. So as we, as we look at the situation we find ourselves in now, our, our prayers can be, can be shifted. And really, this entire dialogue that Jesus is having with his followers is, let's take prayers from external to internal. He's looking at specific attitudes and actions and outward uh, things that we do in prayer and saying, let's, let's make it more internal. But I believe subtly, and what we'll really explore next week as we look at the Lord's Prayer, is He's wanting to take the things that we discuss with Him from the external to the internal. Listen, we can go to God and say, God, would you please end this coronavirus? Well, you know what? He already knows that we, that we want that. Uh, God, um, protect us from this. God, keep my family safe. God knows these things already. These are external things. Um, what God would like to see from us during this time are prayers like this. God, what do I need to learn from this? God, what are you showing me about the condition of my heart in the midst of this crisis? Are there, are there selfish things that are creeping out of me? Am I willing to ignore the needs of my neighbors just so I can have my own needs met? God, how do you want your kingdom to be made known through this? I saw a tweet the other day, and it was simply this, in quotes... It said, during the coronavirus of 2020, I gave my heart and my life to Jesus Christ and began to follow him. And the person just simply commented, I hope that we see millions of testimonies just like this. Church family, how can we take this in the midst of the, how can we in the midst of this 
crisis. Go beyond the walls of our church and do real ministry. Those are the kinds of prayers I believe God is wanting us to spend time with him because I can assure you, I can promise you, he's got a big plan for what he wants to do with this. Based on what I believe about God's word to be true, he's got a plan for this. Are we going to take the time to put ourselves in his presence so that we can truly speak to him, but listen to him to see what that plan is? We've been talking about it several times over the last couple of weeks. Troy mentioned it last Sunday. He mentioned it again Wednesday night if you're able to join us there. But Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Paul talks about turning everything back to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could imagine. I got to admit, this is a scary time. Um, and, and what I can come up with is very limited. But we know that what God has in mind is unlimited, and, and He can do immeasurably more than we can even hope or ask for. So today, may we pray and ask God to break us of our selfishness and insistence on doing things our way and seek Him and how He wants to work through us. Mm -hmm.